Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Ex Exodus chapter 20, the, as we continue through the Westminster Shorter Catechism's uh, treatment of the uh, Ten Commandments. Hear the word of the Lord, through uh, which has been delivered, though written by the hand of God, has been delivered through his servant Moses, who is the greatest servant uh, uh, in the household of God, as the writer to the Hebrews has put it so well. Our text will be verse 12 on the fifth commandment, but we will begin at verse 1 and proceed to the end. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the, of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto all the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near in unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shalt ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of a hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for the scriptures that you have given to us. They are the word of life. Therein we find life. Therein we find sustenance to cause us to grow. Therein, by the working of your Holy Spirit, may Christ be preeminent in all that we say and do during this time of examination of your word. We thank you for the teachers that you have gifted to the church. We especially think of the Westminster Divines this evening, and we thank you for the direction that they have provided in unpacking the teaching of your word. We pray that we would be obedient to it. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Within 11 days, uh, the uh, French Revolution will be, the anniversary of the French Revolution, I should say, will be uh, celebrated. It happens to fall on my wedding anniversary, July 14th. I don't know, maybe if I had remembered that, I might have chosen another date. But yes, uh, I am not a fan of the French Revolution. If there was one thing that Abraham Kuyper got right in the 19th century in the Netherlands, it was that the French Revolution was trouble. You will remember that in the French Revolution, their slogan was liberty, equality, fraternity. If we could reduce that to one word, it would be egalitarianism. That is, that there is a leveling of the playing field, that is, there are no distinctions or differences in the world between people. In other words, there are no differences between those who lead and those who follow, uh, those uh, who, um, in God's providence, are given to govern and those who are given to uh, obey. Egalitarianism is, is uh, of course, not completely wrong. There is a sense in which all of us stand before God on equal footing. Uh, that is, of course, not essentially the teaching of egalitarianism. It is uh, a, a parasite uh, on the world. It is uh, trouble. Our nation has uh, endured its uh, ravages for some time and is continuing to do so even in our own day. Egalitarianism would also say would be is the kissing cousin to relativism. That is, we cannot say that certain behaviors or ways of thinking or speaking are wrong when the scriptures are very clear that there are ways of speaking and thinking and behaving that are right and wrong. The scriptures and the Westminster Standards recognize that God has placed certain hierarchies in creation, in the family, in the church, in the state, in the school, and in other so-called mediating institutions and voluntary associations. Mediating institutions and voluntary associations and created and uh, uh, created uh, Things like the family and the church uh, are a necessary bulwark against uh, an overweening state, but that's uh, 
a subject for another day. These hierarchies, however, beloved, that is uh, between superiors, inferiors, and equals, as the Westminster Divines put it, these hierarchies are subject, the people who are the superiors and the inferiors and the equals are subject to King Jesus. They're, uh, the authority that anyone holds uh, in this world is not absolute, except for the ruling and the reign of the risen and reigning Messiah, King Jesus. Now that's the background which brings us to the fifth commandment. We've looked at four commandments so far. We come to the fifth commandment and the question and answers 63. What or which is the fifth commandment? And the answer that the Westminster divines give us is the fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And I want to uh, look at this under the following three headings, which are made up of the successive questions following 63. What is required in the fifth commandment? What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? And then finally, what is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? So what is required in the fifth commandment? It's a good thing that you asked, because I'm going to answer the fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. See, right then and there, our American sensibilities are smacked in the face by the very use of the terms superiors, inferiors, or equals. Now, we don't have a problem with equals. Uh, but we might have a problem with the inherent notions or notions of inherent superiority or inferiority. Uh, but in God's providence, it happens to be the case that even in lands where they claim to be completely uh, egalitarian, there are some that are more egalitarian than others. You see it in the, the former Soviet Union. Everybody was part of the, the, uh, the people, so-called people, the proletariat, and yet those who were part of the Politburo were more equal than others. They had the, the fur coats, they had the fancy cars, they maintained the power, and so uh, even in uh, communist uh, Russia and the satellite nations that they drew to themselves, there was a hierarchy. It always happens. The buck has to stop somewhere. It might be a committee, or it might be an individual. But even in a committee, you have to have a moderator who moderates. So you see, the power has to stop somewhere. The fifth commandment, in other words, articulates a general principle that is at work beyond our relations with our parents and children. The fifth commandment is stated in terms of our relationship to our parents. Honor your father and your mother. The fifth commandment doesn't go on to say, if you feel like it, or if you woke up on the right side of the bed this morning, or if your parents happen to be smarter than you today, 
and have demonstrated it uh, doesn't say that uh, honor your father and your mother as the occasion requires, but that every occasion requires the honoring of your father and your mother. That is, that is a principle that is being attacked, has been attacked uh, in the French Revolution, uh, in the, the Nazism, uh, in socialism and communism, these things have been attacked explicitly. Destroy the family. The creation uh, ordinance, that is, the family was instituted by God. It was not it was not the result of a couple of uh, hunter-gatherers getting together in a stone cave and, and grunting to each other. This might be a good idea if we take a man and a woman, put them together as husband and wife, and they can raise the kids. Now, it is a good idea, but that's because God came up with it and has revealed it to us. This is built into creation. It is a creation ordinance. John Murray, in his book, Principles of Conduct, uh, deals with this uh, nicely. If you don't have that book, you should get it. If you have it, take, blow the dust off it and read it. Make notes in the pages. We must preserve the honor. You notice what it says. The fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor of those uh, to belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equal. Okay, so it will depend upon the relationship that we sustain to, to people. It will depend upon uh, various circumstances. Your father could be your pastor. Your father could be your elder, uh, etc. You see, your father could be the king. Your, your father could be the president. Could be the governor. The local mayor. We must preserve the honor. That is, we look out for the, uh, the honor of those who are in authority over us. Those who are in authority have an obligation to look out for the honor of those who are under us, to care for us, to care for them, to protect them. Uh, elders in the church, the minister and the elders in the local congregation look out for the for the spiritual condition of the people of the flock, of those who are under them. They answer, of course, to the chief shepherd, uh, and uh, he has oversight directly through the scriptures. So we are called upon to preserve the honor of those, everyone in their several places uh, and relations, we see examples of this. Uh, the Apostle Paul before the Sanhedrin, uh, before the Roman governors. We see it in his letter to the Romans in chapter 13. We've looked at in uh, Sundays gone by. We see even when he addressed the Sanhedrin, he was respectful. When he addressed the Roman governors, he followed protocol. And he treated the leaders even though he would disagree with them and perhaps even thought they, had, they uh, were wicked men, and they were. He still treated them with respect, as Romans 13 tells us as well. In terms of relationship to parents, remember that Jesus honored his parents. 
after the incident where he's 12 years old and in the temple, he goes home with his parents to Nazareth and submits to them. Now, uh, these two examples could, could go along with the next point. It was hard to divide uh, whether these were performing or preserving the honor or performing the duties. The truth is they're two sides of the same coin. You can't be preserving the honor without performing the duties. And to perform the duties that you owe to those around you, you have to preserve their honor, or you aren't really performing the duties. Okay, we look at the fact that not only must we preserve the honor of those who are above us, below us, and on the same level with us, we must also perform our duties to them. This is where uh, uh, another ism that arises out of the uh, the Enlightenment individualism uh, runs aground. Now we need to be very careful. The scriptures uh, do not allow us to so stress individuals that we destroy the people, that is the church, people of God. Nor are we to so stress the group that we run, run roughshod over individuals. Individualism as an ism pushes the envelope and treats each one of us as if we were atoms bumping up against each other in the void. Okay, that's a reference to the, the late, the, the great uh, ancient philosopher. Um, yes, his name went right out of my head. It's not important. But it's it, Democritus, and it's called uh, uh, atomism. It's an ancient philosophy. It shares a lot in common with the doctrine of evolution. So you see, evolution is not a new teaching that began with Charles Darwin. It actually goes way back closer to the garden than you might be aware. We must perform the duties that we are obligated to perform. That's the point of my criticism of individualism. Individualism says that we're all atomistic individuals and we owe no responsibility to others around us unless we choose to do so. And you, you hear that, don't you? Choice. That's the great mantra. Choice. If we choose to do something, it's okay. But if the choice is thrust upon us, that's not okay. Well, that's not how, the, how God sees things. Again, these are, this is a principle that is drawn out of the fifth commandment. Jesus did the will of his heavenly Father as the God-man. He understood that he, as the God-man, was, uh, as the Son, was subordinate to the Father in the economy of redemption. For our, rede for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, went on to uh, grow up in the home of his parents, and he would be obedient to them. And that meant performing the duties that he owed to them as the God-man, as a child. But he also did the will of his Heavenly Father. And he said that throughout the Gospel of John. That is a, a refrain, a constant refrain from his lips. So we are to preserve the honor and perform the duties which belong to everyone in their several places and relations. This is where it gets dicey, as superiors, inferiors, or equals. 
Now, if they had only said is equals, uh, many of us would all be happy. Because then it would be a matter of, well, I choose to do the following things above and beyond my duty. To be nice, to be helpful, to be loving, to be kind, to be gracious, to be o- obedient. I choose to do those things. Well, that, that's not how God has made this world. You see, this is about uh, a creation order. A creation order that God has put in place in the world has, He has created. The uh, equality, the uh, fraternity and liberty that the French Revolution sought to inculcate upon atheistic terms, by the way, uh, is a rebellion against God and His Word. Now, these relations that we sustain to other people, beloved, involve parents, siblings, children, pastors, elders, deacons, and congregants, magistrates and citizens, teachers and students, employers and employees, officers and soldiers, masters and slaves, you name it. We have relationships that we sustain with other people, and God expects us to honor the the people to whom we relate as superiors, inferiors, or equals. This is not a reference to inherent worth. We're all made in the image of God. This is a reference to our relations or functions within society. And it is not the case that, that God intends to, in redemption, to wipe these clean. There are some distinctions, I will say, that are not to have any bearing in the church. Race, black, white, brown, pink, beige, purple, with pink polka dots, you know, those aren't to make any difference. We are all one in Christ. Our relationships with other people, they work up, they work down, they work sideways. All our preserving the honor and performing the duties to our several relations are under the rule of King Jesus. It's important to say this because there are uh, some who would treat the relations, the honor that we owe, that we preserve, and the duties that we are to perform, as if they were absolute, that there were no exceptions. But there are exceptions. Husbands, unfortunately, beat wives. Wives beat husbands. Uh, Rare, but on occasion this happens. Fathers beat their children. Children disobey and despise their parents. Uh... Citizens unlawfully rebel or immorally rebel against the rightful authority of those who are placed in responsibility over them, and so forth and so on. Sometimes uh, employees uh, rebel against their employer, not thinking of a strike per se, because I think strikes do occur on occasion because employers treat their employees like dirt. Because, you see, that's the breaking of the fifth commandment. When the employer treats the employees like slaves or like dirt, that is a breaking of the fifth commandment, just as much as if employees treat their employers like dirt. 
That is also a breaking of the fifth commandment. So this is not just a top-down relationship. It is also a bottom-up and side-to-side relationship. We owe, uh, we, we are to preserve the honor, and we owe duties to be performed to those who are our equals as well. Brothers and sisters, cousins, employees of the same company, etc. Citizens of the same nation. We owe each other honor and perform the performance of duties. But this is all under the rule of King Jesus. And that's why when the Apostle Paul says to... Uh, um, to families in Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, the last few chapters, he talks about the relationships of husbands and wives, to children to parents, parents to children, etc. He said, "This uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is not qualifying parents, that is qualifying the obedience. That is the obedience that we, in other words, your parents are your parents. Okay, uh, this is not a command just to children, Christian children to, to non-Christian parents or Christian parents. It's a command to non-Christian parent, parents and children, Christian children of non-Christian parents, Christian parents of non-Christian children. If you were able to track with that, you know, getting like a bowl of spaghetti. All of us answer to the Lord for how we conduct ourselves, what we say about other people, how we behave toward them, how we uphold the honor and dignity. See, there is a minimum standard. We are to uphold the dignity of our fellow human beings because we are all made in the image of God. Then there follows these relationships of superior, inferior, and equal. And these are added on. These are added honors and performance and duties that we must perform. But the Lord Jesus Christ has ultimate authority over all of these other human relationships. Remember, the ultimate relationship of superior and inferior is between the triune God and His human creation. God is God and we are not. That is the ultimate relation of superior to inferior. God is God and we are not. And that grounds all of these other relationships because of the fact that there is a God who is not a creature and there are creatures who are not God. Therefore, all talk of the leveling of society is an abandonment of the creation ordinances of families, of churches, of the state, and of various mediating institutions and voluntary associations. Okay, all of that is dangerous, and all talk of leveling of society and the obliteration of distinctions leads eventually to tyranny. In other words, anarchy must, by uh, the way God has made the world, leads to tyranny. Just look at it historically. All the periods, uh, if you need to trace backwards from the establishment of a dictator, backwards you will see that the establishment of a dictatorship, whether it be an Adolf Hitler in Germany, or the 
communist Russia and Stalin and, and uh, Lenin before him. These were all preceded by periods of anarchy in the land. These are a breaking of the fifth commandment. They're the breaking of several others, but the, the fifth commandment most assuredly is being broken. Beloved, do you seek the honor of those who are over you? Do you care for those who are under you? And do you regard with respect those of equal station with you, all under the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ? And that brings us to the next question. What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? Question 65. The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. It's not hard to follow. This is doing the opposite of what we're required to do. We are not to neglect the honor and the duties we owe to others. We have examples of this happening uh, in the Old Testament. We have Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas in 1 Samuel chapter 1, who are guilty of profaning the religion that God has established with His people in Israel. They treated lightly the, uh, the sacramental uh, system that God had established through Moses. They treated it with contempt, and they treated the people that, that came to offer sacrifices with contempt, and they treated their father with contempt, and therefore they treated God with contempt. We are not to do anything against the honor and duties which we owe to others. In the New Testament, you remember when Jesus was put forward to the crowd, and when he asked, you have a, a practice during the feast of Passover to, to ask me to release someone? Uh, and he was uh, suggesting that he release Jesus, and they said, no, we want Barabbas. Barabbas, we want him, the insurrectionist and the murderer. Barabbas was one who failed to, or uh, who did, uh, many things against the honor and duties which he owed to others. He's an example of someone who, who uh, fought against uh, authority, and one who committed murder. Okay, so in that instance he's breaking the fifth and the sixth commandments. He's wanted to see if I could remember. The fifth and the sixth commandments. However, it should be said that God use, uses our sin and disobedience to derive glory for himself. He does. That doesn't excuse our sinfulness, but it means He's still in control. There's no, there's no time in which our rebellion against Him, there is no sense in which we really break. We may break a particular law, as it's been said, but we don't break the covenant. We, we don't throw God off kilter. We don't uh, cause Him to, uh, to flip His lid. None of that happens. In fact, God, we are told, did just this in, in the crucifixion. He derived glory for Himself and He accomplished redemption all the while the human actors on the stage of history were venting their own sinful inclinations and habits. 
it was the Sanhedrin's intent and the intent of Pilate, the Roman governor, to put Jesus out of their misery. They tried to do it the quickest way possible by crucifying him. But it was God's intent that Christ's death on the cross would bring about salvation for the elect. So even when we are disobedient, it may look like it causes chaos and anarchy, and it does on the human level, but God is still in control. He is still sovereign, and He is not in the least bit phased by our disobedience. Beloved, do you seek to refrain from dishonoring or insulting others? As you seek to refrain from doing those things, remember that Jesus is your standard. He could have said to the Sanhedrin, and He could have said to Pilate, you have no right to do these things, get out of here, and He could have called 10,000 angels and obliterated those men. But He did not, for which we ought to be thankful, because without that we would not be here, we would not be saved, we would not be among the people of God. And that brings us to the final question dealing with the fifth commandment. What is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. One theologian has wryly noted, and I mean this, he, he had a twinkle in his eye when he said this, is Riley noted that this promise simply points out that when you honor your parents, you will avoid the capital punishment for being incorrigible. Which is, of course, obviously true. <laughs> if you are not stoned to death for being incorrigible, then you will live longer in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Giving you, Yeah, right? That is true. It's actually a good point. that We need to be reminded that... The, um, if you're not put to death for being disobedient, that implies that you're going to live a longer life. Well, yeah, that's, that's good, but of course there's more to it. This commandment contains a promise. The Apostle Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise for long life and prosperity. Uh-oh, I'm sure this is one of those passages that the health and wealth gospelers go to to argue that all of us, since we're children of the king, ought to live like princes and princesses in this world. Have our palaces, our fancy cars, our nice clothing, etc., and etc. Have all the benefits that go along with being royalty. Well, we are royalty in the most important sense of the word, but remember who is the king. He is one who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. The divines rightly temper this with the, the observation that, that uh, long life and prosperity will come to us if it shall serve God's glory and our own good. The fact of the matter is, there is God knows the future. Um, he, he knows that perhaps uh, were we left to ourselves, we might do ourselves in. And sometimes we are removed from this planet before such things can happen. I believe that's, a, that's true, that that is sometimes, not all, not all the time, but sometimes that's what's at work. 
it is generally true that if you honor your parents and perform your duties to others, you will have a good, long, and prosperous life. Generally. That's generally true, not always true. We have plenty of instances in the history of the human race of those who have honored their parents and who have gone down to the grave by doing so. We have instances of the opposite, of course, as well. But there, this promise is not is like it's it's in some ways it's like the proverbs, you know, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a guarantee that that if you raise your child with a Christian upbringing, that he or she will be a Christian. That's not, not it's not that kind of a guarantee. That proverb is a general truism. Okay, it's a general truism. The way God has made the, the, the world and the people of God, the way He has set up His church, is, that, is such that if a person is born into and raised up within the church, that he or she is more likely than not to be a recipient of grace and will respond to the gospel and will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, etc., but it's not always the case. There are people who are raised by ungodly parents who become Christians. And there are children of Christians who go on to be ungodly people. Now, I will say that this promise of long life and prosperity, that, that it will go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, is a foreshadowing of the eternal life that we have by virtue of our faith in Christ who himself obeyed the law to perfection. Okay, this is this is pointing forward. Remember how the law points us to Christ and indirectly relates to us. To ask the question what does this mean for me is actually to begin with the wrong question. I'm sorry if that offends you. You'll have to live with it. How this relates to me, or what does this mean to me, is a legitimate question, but it is not the first one. Because as Christians, the Old Testament relates to us by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. We now have a fuller revelation of what these things mean. And the promise given to those who obey their parents of long life and prosperity in the land which the Lord their God is giving them was meant to foreshadow, to point forward to the eternal life that you and I possess as Christians, that begins here and now, that begins the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and will go with you into eternity. It is not only a long life in terms of duration, it is a wonderful life in terms of quality. It is a life in which you are transformed, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You are transformed from a wretched sinner into a beloved saint by the work of the Holy Spirit in you who uses His chisel, that is the Word of God, to, to mold you like a statue into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will make What the Holy Spirit is doing with you, beloved, once you come to faith in Christ, makes Michelangelo's statue of David look like silly putty. Makes you look like silly putty. Makes that statue look like silly putty. 
You see, Christ's resurrection, into, in, in which He enters into His glorified state, brings us with Him. Brings us with Him. And that is the basis for our eternal life. And that is what the promise given to those who would obey, who would honor their father and mother, that your life would be long and that it would go well for you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Because the land of promise was meant to foreshadow the, the, uh, the eternal life, uh, the new heavens and the new earth ultimately, uh, secondarily, it, it reflects the people of God in this world, in this life, prior to the consummation of all things. So the question is, do you honor your superiors, inferiors, or equals? Do you honor your Lord and your God? Now, we haven't gone into much talk about when it is right to stand up to those who are in authority over you. Uh, when they abuse their uh, prerogatives as, as uh, magistrates or pastors or elders or teachers or um, parents, those are things that we could spend a lot more time talking about. But remember the two basic rules. If you are commanded to do what God has forbidden or you are forbidden to do what God has commanded, those are basic rules of thumb. When those things are done, then you must, out of your obligation to the Lord, because the Lord stands above all earthly powers, you must resist. You must resist. And so there is a place for uh, Christian resistance. We'll have opportunities to consider that in the days ahead, no doubt. In conclusion, beloved, God has created a world in which we are not isolated atoms colliding with one another in the void, but that we have relations with our parents, with our children, with our sisters and brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles, our leaders, our political leaders, our church leaders, our school leaders, uh, we have relationships with those in the companies we work at. We have relationships, perhaps, in, in voluntary societies. Remember, maybe you're part of the ladies' reading group. Well, there's going to be someone who's ultimately the secretary or the president of the ladies' reading group or the, the men's reading group. Okay, And so those relationships are there by God's providence, creation and providence, not by accident. And finally, our obedience to others is limited by our primary allegiance to Jesus Christ. Remember that we will spend eternity with other brothers and sisters, and especially with our triune God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this word that you've given to us, and that we are reminded that it speaks to us about our relationship with our parents, but, but also our relationship with others who are in authority over us, over whom we have authority, and those with whom we relate uh, equally on a daily basis. We pray that in all of these relationships we would honor and glorify you, Father. We would exemplify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we would be dependent upon your Holy Spirit working through the Word.
We pray all this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.